Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you that we love being together. We love to assemble together. We love to chat and uh, be real with one another. And I pray, God, that there would be great friendships, that Bible study would be the foundation of, the center of, the commonality, but it wouldn't just be here. It would spur relationship outside of this, that we need community. We cannot live or learn in isolation. We were never meant to. Children learn in relationship. And so, God, I just pray that deep relationships would grow and that Bible study would be the reason, just like a rhythm, to keep friendships together, to keep them together and to keep them pointed towards you as the commonality of our relationship. And so I thank you for rhythms. We don't have a lot in this modern age, as many as the Jewish people had things to keep them in rhythm with you. And so let this be one of them. I need it. I get completely out of rhythm, Lord, when I don't have this in my life. And so just always pointing me back to you, pointing me back to you. Everything is about keeping my eyes on you. And then that actually changes my life. And so I love you and I love your word. It's so rich. Um, I feel a little bit inadequate today to teach it to the depth, but the Holy Spirit, you do your thing. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, so we came out of Peter's sermon, right? You remember that? Okay, Peter's sermon came out of this event at Pentecost, and he preaches one fantastic, clear sermon based on Scripture, and he has told them, this that you have seen is that, that Joel talked about. And then he is telling them through using the Psalms that this Jesus, oh, he was the Christ. He was the son of David, but he was also Lord. He is the son of man. He was the Christ. He was that son of David, that rightful king that David was speaking about from the Psalm um, that this, this king that was to come who saw no decay, that the grave could not hold. Oh, snap, that's Jesus. We saw it with our own eyes. And not only that, we saw him ascend to the right hand of power. He is the son of man. He is the one that David, when looking forward, it was his descendant, but his Lord. And Jesus is both Christ and Lord. And although this was a part of a plan, from the beginning, the sovereign will of God, you crucified him. And so you cannot erase the responsibility of man within the sovereignty of God. They both exist and you did it through lawless men, but you need to understand you crucified him. He opened up the prophets to them, their own scriptures. And by the way, do you think that's all he preached the whole time? Like it was two minutes? No. What's Luke doing? Luke is the author. Don't forget that. You're like, I don't know. What does Luke have to do with it? <laughs> don't act like you don't ever think that. Because you forget. Like, I already taught you that Luke was the author, but I saw blank stares on your face. And they're like, wait, David, G Luke, what do you, what? Luke wrote Acts. Do you remember who he wrote it to? Theophilus, Right? Why? Either to strengthen his faith, could be, or as a complete defense for who? For Paul, who was going to be on trial. So he's laying it out as the best research journalist you've ever seen. So what is he doing? He is showing how it began, the beauty of how this church began in its infancy, in its its beginnings, the beauty of it. And so, and he's talking about this sermon. So he's hitting the high points, right? He's proving a point. He is, it's historicity, like it's, uh, it's truth, but it is also persuasion because he has a point that he's making. But my point is that Peter said a whole lot more 
than what we have in this sermon, but it is these high points saying from their scripture, this, it, this Jesus that you crucified is your Messiah and he is Lord. He is God seated at the right hand, okay? And so now this is their response. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, I love that, by the way. I think that might be, I think that's the first time we see that and we see this idea of family as the body of Christ, okay? What shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Woo, what a revival, right? So good. N.T. Wright does this comparison in one of his commentaries that I think is awesome. When he's talking about the idea of repentance, he said, you know, on one hand, there's this, there's a huge difference between driving along on the wrong side of the road or driving along a road going the wrong direction, okay? That's very different than being uh, on a slippery slope towards a cliff, right? He says, driving on a road on the wrong direction, all of a sudden you become aware that you're driving the wrong direction. And so what do you do? You stop and you turn around and you go a different direction, but when you consider it that you are on a steep slope and you are sliding out of control, all right, you don't have the ability to do what? To stop and turn around. And so what you realize then is that you need to be rescued. That's a better picture. You need to be rescued. Someone who has a foothold who will catch you, stop you right? Stop you, turn you around. But you, I thought, boy, you better be ready for a quick stop. I mean, think about it. It is like, it is a stop when you think about that. This idea, I think that's what happened to them. They were headed down a steep slope and they hear this and guess what? Boom. I mean, that is a brutal stop. This is very different. Turn around, repent. But guess what? That's better than plunging off the cliff. That is where Israel is headed. In the spiritual sense and in the literal. All through Luke's gospel, he has been warning them they are on a path to destruction. I need you to understand that rejecting your Messiah, Luke has been telling them, rejecting your Messiah, this Christ and Lord, ultimately shows that they didn't just reject him as a person. They rejected his way of life. They rejected his kingdom. I mean, think about this. Really think about this kingdom. I always tell you it's the tale of two kingdoms. Don't forget the overall story I'm always reminding you of. What were we created to do? We were created in the image of God to be true humanity in relationship with God to bring that kingdom throughout the earth. And what happened? We failed to keep proper authority. We failed to keep God as our authority and we made ourselves our authority of truth. And what happened? We ended up at Babel, right? Where we actually look more like beast than what? Humanity. Because now we build earthly empires, 
not caring about the lowly or the poor. We have oppression and we have violence and we have this idea of building our way uh, to the heavenly, to making a name for ourselves. That's what, that's what we have. And then we saw it when then Jesus, when God picks who? Abram, right? And we have like a, a new beginning because he breathes into Abram and he becomes Abraham. And what was dead becomes alive and we have this new nation, God's nation, his royal priesthood. And that through covenant relationship with God, which the covenant relationship is what? The Ten Commandments. What actual true humanity was created to be like, the words of true life, right? That's life. In relationship with God, that if they lived in that relationship with God, that they would be a blessing to all nations. And we know that was also the promise of the coming of the Messiah who actually would be the fruition of that. But where did they end up? Well, they ended up being like who? Babel. Because what did he say to them? Hot power version. You have become the beasts. Do you remember that? Matthew 26. Are you the Christ? Well, you say so, but let me tell you what I say. I am the son of man. From this moment on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What is he saying? You've become Babel. Jerusalem has become Babel. You've created an empire. It's a religious one, but it's still an earthly empire. And guess what? You don't care about the poor. You don't care about the lowly, the down and out. You have oppressed them. The difference is you've done it with the law. Luke has been telling them they're on a path to destruction. Look at Luke 3, 7 through 9. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist is warning Israel that the axe is at the tree. It's not about being sons of Abraham, but it's about bearing fruit of repentance, evidence of a change, a life that exemplifies what? Turnaround, repentance. So I'm just curious, because I like to sit and, and think about how they thought as much as I possibly can, how they received this. So I wrote in here, just curious, how do you think they viewed judgment? How do you think they viewed judgment? Well, how had God judged the nations before? He did it through, <clears throat> often through other nations, correct? The prophets, using prophetic language, like we just heard, would say, it's, it's around the corner, okay? They would use things like coming on the clouds, uh, phrases like that to talk about judgment coming soon. So when you would read the prophets very often, it would be talking about a judgment coming soon, but then it would be like all of a sudden, you remember the old transparencies when you taught school or when your teacher taught you? Yeah. And your teacher would just have blue marker all down their hand right there. Especially if they were left-handed, that was horrible. Uh, it, it's almost like prophecies coming soon. And then in the prophets, what would happen? they would lay another transparency on top and we would realize that there's also going to come an ultimate what? Day of judgment. But it's, it's like you're looking at one and then all of a sudden that transparency is over and you're looking towards that. And so when you think about though, 
they had to have think, been thinking of times like the Assyrians, the Babylon, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. You know, the prophets had warned them of judgment to come. And what did they do to, what did they do to those prophets? Well, they killed them. Yeah, they killed them. Um, I don't know why I have Isaiah 11 on here, so let's just explore it. This is going to be new to me, I guess, right now. Oh, I know why. Don't you now? <laughs> I'm smarter than I think I am. <laughs> oh, I have these thoughts or these, uh, what I'd call hyperlinks that come in my head, and I don't always expound on them in my notes. I'm like, why in the world did I bubble Isaiah 11? Okay, this is why. He's saying that, the axe is at the, the tree. What you know is about to be cut down, right? But, when, but we see the beauty in that, okay, because the stump is still there. It's Jewish, the nation of Israel, but from that is going to come, what? A shoot, the Christ, and it's going to grow. It's all about growing in life and producing fruit. So it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump, of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So it's talking about this promise of this coming one who will be this shoot that comes up out of a stump. Oh, look at you. You know, if I'd call you in advance, we'd really be good. <laughs> oh, so here's the deal. They had to have thought when he's talking about ideas of a, an axe at the tree, this judgment that is to come, uh, you know, things like Assyria, Babylon, Greek, and now who's occupying them? The Romans, right? The Romans are occupying their land. The Romans have occupied their land. And John is warning that the axe is at the tree. Like this idea of total destruction. So I'm talking about a judgment that's coming soon. And I do think it was a destruction that Jesus held in his mind, in his thoughts. Luke 19, 41. Jesus is coming in in the triumphal entry. It says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, and now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. They not only rejected the person of Jesus, they rejected his way of life, his kingdom. And by staying on the path that they were on, building earthly kingdoms, who were they going to run into? The Romans. And what was going to happen to them in AD 70? The destruction of their temple, which Jesus warned them, when you start seeing these certain signs, run, Forrest. Get out. Don't go back and get your purse. Get out. Destruction is coming. The, the axe is at the root of the tree. Um, I also want you to see this. I, I, I haven't looked at this verse in a long time. Look at Luke 23. And maybe you've never seen it. Luke 23, 28. So it's the crucifixion. It says, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? <sighs> Don't weep for me. Weep for you. 
you're headed, what they're doing to me, a tree that produces what? The green tree, all kinds of fruit. Can you imagine what they will do to you? Save yourself. Destruction is coming. It's coming soon, but then what else? I'm going to put the transparency over, right? But he's also saying to them, because keep in mind our context, it says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So by rejecting me and rejecting my kingdom, you're on a way of life that is going to what? Bring destruction. But not only that, now let's go out. Let me lay the transparency over. We're talking about that there will be an ultimate day of the Lord that is coming, an ultimate judgment when all will be made right. And any tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and cast in the fire. Why? Does he kill it? Does he kill the tree in judgment? You can't kill something that's dead. The tree is dead. How do we know it is dead? It's not producing any fruit. It's not green. Right? There, there's nothing in it. Uh, Rob and I had some, all the, the, these vines and stuff at our house that, you know, we've been redoing all this stuff. What is the first thing he does? He pulls out his knife. And he cuts through it to see if there's any what? Green, life, okay? If they will do this when they see true humanity and life and this kingdom, if they can do this to me, imagine to what they can do to do. You are on the wrong course. You're building a part of the wrong kingdom. So by rejecting me and my kingdom, this is what is coming your way. But more than that, there is coming a day when all will be set right. When? When the kingdom of God comes down and God's space and earthly space is together. And the only thing that can endure that consuming fire is what? Life. Because everything that is dead will be burned up. And so this is the, repent. You're headed on a downward slide. Repent. Turn back. Change directions. The road you're on, this worldly kingdom, leads to destruction now and to come. Choose to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus. And he says this, apply his blood to your hearts. Pass through the waters. Receive the spirit, a new heart, life exemplified in a new way of life. You see this idea that, you know, I've created for you this, when they asked him, when will the restoration of Israel be? You still see it right here, right? Because I said, here you have Jesus seated on his throne, his kingdom. He has ushered in the kingdom of heaven. He has his twelve that have been filled with the Spirit, as Joel says. And they are proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And they are just struck. And you have all the tribes present. They've been brought back together. Why? Well, at one point, judgment scattered them. But God has now brought them all back together to hear the good news and to be filled with the Holy Spirit as temples of God to do what? Take the gospel of the kingdom out. And you see this beautiful um, restoration of Israel. You still see the symbolism of being freed, being rescued, and, and Passover. Do you see that? The blood. Understanding what Jesus did. Applying the blood to your doorpost, to your heart and passing through the waters and receiving the law, which now we're seeing is these tongues of fire. It's the spirit of God coming down. So you see this beautiful, at least I see this beautiful symbolism that is there. But I also have gotten a lot of questions the last week about some of this verbiage. So let me just touch on that real quick because I don't want to ignore it. Let me get back to Acts. 
Oh, I don't have to. I wrote it down. When it says this, it says, um, let me go back. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? Um, so I'm just going to tell you what I believe about this verse right here, because I've been asked by two or three people, do I believe that it is through baptism that we, it's regeneration through baptism? Okay, that is not what I believe. I believe that the word, so when it says, um, I keep turning the page, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That the way this is lined up, it's a little bit confusing, okay? But for the forgiveness of your sin, there's an example um, I could use. So let's say that someone was in the military, all right, and they were getting a medal for bravery, okay? Is it the medal that makes them brave? No. They're getting a medal because they were brave. Okay? So we are, when we put our faith in Jesus, okay, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the water is a picture outwardly of what is happening inwardly through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? So I do not believe you have to be baptized to be saved. But now I'm going to come back and circle back around and tell you, well, why wouldn't you be? Your first act of obedience is to outwardly express what has happened inwardly, that you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been freed from the bondage of sin and death, you have been filled or baptized by the Holy Spirit, which is regeneration and new birth. You have come alive, you've been born again, born from above, and the way you express your identity outwardly is that you are baptized in the name of Jesus in his death and resurrection, showing that, listen, it is new birth, new life. Things are going to change. Do you understand? I was on a downward slippery slope, and I'm telling you what, I got stopped in my tracks and turned around. And that is the picture of this. So I don't believe that salvation is a part of, that baptism is a part of salvation, but it is an expression, your first act of obedience of your salvation. Does that make sense? Because I was asked that. You can research that little word for, okay, if you want to get stuck in that. But I just needed to clarify that because <clears throat> I've been asked that a few times. Okay, hold on. I got to make sure that I told you everything I wanted, and I don't think I did. Oh, I did want to tell you this in the symbolism I passed over. Isn't it interesting? So when you think about the judgment, I'm going to go back to this because it's cool. When you think about the judgment to come, and you think like the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and all that, why, why did that judgment come to them? Do you remember? Why were they being judged? What kind of sin? What, what was their sin usually? They, were, they had neglected their God. They had turned away from the law, that, the, the, the commandments, that way of life, right? And they had become more like who? The, the pagans, right? The world. Okay, so they were being judged at the time because they neglected the law and they worshiped other gods. But, but what's the situation now? in Israel under the Romans at this time with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes? Have they neglected the law? <laughs> no. What did they do? 
Do you not just find that part of humanity? The human experience? It's almost like when something doesn't work and we try so hard not to do that, we always overcorrect. Do you ever know? Uh, that's just psychology. I'm, I'm, I mean, just write this in pencil. This is just Shannon talking to you. I mean, have you ever noticed that? That we always swing to the extreme on the other end at times. And so this time they're not neglecting the law. Now they're using the law to burden and to weigh down and to control the people. They're using it as, as a form of control. And so you have this, uh, both of those are a slippery slope. Do you understand that? Both of them are. Neglecting it or using it as a, an element of control, a weapon. And so you have this idea of, you know, when they received the law, these stone tablets, the letter of the law, right? What did the law actually end in? Death, right? And by the way, do you remember when they received the law uh, the first time on that day? I think in Exodus, I don't know, 38-ish or something, around in there. Do you know what happened? They came, he came down and what were they doing? Oh yeah, golden calf, it was a party, right? And do you know how many people died on that day? 3,000. Ding, 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 ding. 3,000 died on that day. And the receiving of the law, the stone tablets, the letter of the law, 3,000 died on that day. But what about on the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, right, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Finally, as Joel said, one day God will pour out his spirit on man and their hearts of stone will be taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh and it will be written. It's the spirit of the law will be inside of us. And that day, 3,000 people didn't die. 3,000 people, what? Came to life. So you're seeing this, this whole idea come to life that the spirit of the law it's, it's fruit, 3,000 saved. That was his point of Sabbath. I love that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is what Jesus was always trying to make them understand. One of the worst days was Sabbath. They were bound up, stressful. And what did he do on Sabbath? They just irritated them. He freed people from their bondage. One of the ones I love the most is the story of the woman who it was literally like she's tied in knots, if you've ever looked at it. So think about a handicapped person you know, like even to pick them up is excruciating because they're, they're, it's like they're tied in a knot. And it says he released her. That is the greatest visual aid of what he came to do. They had used the law to control, to bind, to restrict. And he's saying, no, 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 no. These are the words of life. This is what's going to keep you out of bondage. This is true humanity that produces fruit and blessing, and it can't happen with stone tablets. I have to come in and change you, regenerate you from the inside out. That's what happens. And so let me give you a visual aid. And he takes the lady that's tied in knots and he goes, Can you imagine watching that? Oh my gosh, it is beautiful. And so he is talking about, turn it around, repentance. Apply the blood to your heart, pass through the waters, receive the spirit and, and have it be exemplified in a new way of life. Ooh, so good. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness, 
glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. This is a completely different life. This is a word not only to the churches, to church, but it's a word to us. That word, devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Devoted. What does that mean? They adopted a whole new set of habits. They adopted a whole new set of habits. This was going to be a completely different life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. What's an easy way? They devoted themselves to learning. They were learners. That's what they were. They did it uh, in community. They did it in large groups going to the temple and they did it in homes. But they were devoted to learning. Why is learning first? It's, it's where everything hinges, okay? So think about this. Peter told the story of the gospel. That's what he did in his speech. He proclaimed the kingdom of the gospel, that Jesus was Christ and he was Lord, okay? And he, he talked about who he was and what he did and how he has offered a brand new kingdom and a brand new life, okay? But let me ask you, is that, is his sermon the apostles' teaching? I mean, it's, it's part, right? I mean, he, he presented the gospel, but is, is that what they just devoted themselves to? What is the apostles' teaching? The teaching is how this announcement is going to affect their entire life. What they have just heard and what has just happened to them is going to affect everything in their life. Their, their identity is affected by this announcement about this Messiah, Christ, Lord, this new kingdom, this new way of, it, it's gonna completely affect their identity and who they really are. It's gonna affect all of their relationships, how they love, how they forgive. It's gonna affect sex, every, everything. It's going to affect uh, their money. It's going to affect their purpose. It's going to affect every way of their life, all of their habits. So let me ask you, can that be done in a day? No. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to be learners from the apostles, the apostles' teaching, which, by the way, were affirmed by the signs. Just like Jesus' teaching was authenticated by the signs and wonders, so are the apostles saying, these are my guys. Listen to them. What they are saying is from me. And think about it. Isn't this what he promised would happen in the upper room? What we have begun will what? Continue. You ain't seen nothing yet. The Holy Spirit, the helper will come. And what is he going to do? He is going to remind you of everything I have taught you. And by the way, how were they taught? In a, in a relational way, walking with Jesus, in, they learn from him in word and what? And deed. They lived life together and it was taught them. And he is saying, the Holy Spirit is going to come and be in you. And he is going to remind you of all the things that I taught you. And he's going to continue to teach you more right? And you are going to be my witnesses. And then later he says, but I will convict. 
And we see that in this, this scripture too. And so you need to understand what a complete life change is happening here. They've got to relearn everything. The light of the gospel penetrates every single part of our life. Every part of it. That change doesn't happen in a day. And it doesn't just happen, by the way, in a sermon that the pastor preaches on Sunday morning. It happens because we devote ourselves to be learners. To be learners. And I'm going to tell you, like, I had a conversation with a friend on the way here about what is church or what has church become. And, and you can't find a, a church because of this or that or the other, right? And what we're preaching from the pulpit and all those things. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not an exact science. It's hard. <laughs> be in leadership. Be the teacher and the preacher and see how difficult it can be. And so one of my questions was, so if you could design, let's say you could, you could have from the pulpit everything you sh thought should be there, would it work? Are people learners? And not only that, that's not the only way we learn right? We learn in community. There's big and small groups present right here in this deal. They went to the temple and they went into homes, right? They learned relationally. We're going to see that. And so it is hard because to me, the breakdown, I'm just going to be real honest with you, started in the home. So now for me, like when I'm teaching high school, how do I make up for all that? I have a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid there. How do I make up for all the lack of knowledge that they should have been mimicking and learning and experiencing and the stories? And now I'm, so, I'm here to teach them all that. And I realize, no, I've got to go back to milk. They're 18, but they, they, they don't know anything. And it's not just knowing the story. Like this has to apply. And so it talks to me too. It's not just teaching them a narrative. I have to apply that narrative, the apostles' teaching. How do we do this? How does this then affect my life? What does that look like? And so it's more than just teaching uh, the word of the message, it's mimicking it, it's applying it, it is all of those things. And that does not happen, what? in a day. And so they devoted themselves to be learners and to grow. I want to ask you something. Are you a learner? Well, right now I can pretty much say, yeah, because you're sitting right here. But do, you, but do you know, like, that's my frustration. Even if we do what some deep Christians want us to do, and we teach this way from the pulpit, do you know that I teach this way all week long, and sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get people to commit to learn the Bible. I can't make somebody be a learner. But it's the number one thing that they did. To learn it. To understand it. To start a brand new life with completely different habits. It looks completely different. And boy, was it recognized. And so it begins with learning. 1 John 1, 3 says this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ they're saying everything we experience that we learned from Jesus, everything we taught, we're just passing it off to you. That's what it is. We're learners. And we're passing off our learning to you. We experienced it like a family. That's how we lived with Jesus. 
You're going to see that. We, had a, we were family. We were together. We lived life together. We had a common purse. We did all of that. That is why he said to them, in my father's house are many what? Rooms. If it were not so, I would not tell you that I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I've gone to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you where I am. At the end of the day, we are family. Remember how I told you this is not about mansion? It's not about square footage, quartz countertops, and a view. Don't interpret that as a mansion. We turn everything that's relational into reward. It's not about reward. They were upset because he was leaving them. They were a family. And he's like, you are my family. At the end of this long, dusty road, you have a room with your name on it. But as my family, what I taught you, you go make disciples. And what do you do then? You bring them in to the fold of the family, just like I did you. And guess what? Y'all were a pain. <laughs> I'm telling you, yesterday, I was so irritated with people. I don't, I, I know, I know y'all think I'm sweet, but I'm telling you I'm not. I think part of my exhaustion sometimes is trying to help people. And I just get that all screwed up too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I make it about me or whatever. I don't know. I, I cycle analyze myself. But I get so upset because I'm like, what is wrong with y'all? I can only tell you so much. Get some dang grit. You know where to go, go. If you're mad, I didn't fight with him. Do something. And I think I, I get frustrated because I've been through so much, you know, and I have to watch that. Like, do you know, people, what it takes me to get up every day and breathe? Like, really? Come on. Get, go, go to the fountain. Go there. Do, I can't make them be learners, but it's so frustrating, right? And then I sit back and I think, who do I think I am? But you get so aggravated. I'm telling you, it was so funny. I was griping with Rob going down the street and I was talking about how like it should come out of me, this process of, I should care about the poor. I should be all of these things. I was analyzing myself. So just know I'm always analyzing myself, not you. And I said, like, how do you even help people? I spend hours of my week trying to help people and they won't move, right? You, you can't help them. You try to be peacemakers and the fools turn and shoot you. You try to help and there's so many layers that you're like, no, these people are like drowning victims. They're going to pull me down in the, in the process of trying to help them. And you just get so exhausted <laughs> when we were talking, these homeless people walk by. Now, let me tell you the scene. <laughs> there was a grown woman in a stroller with an umbrella being pushed by a man whose pants we're down in there. Now, this is the second time this has happened to us and we've been driving down the road. The first time, I saw the man's whole world. And I just said, Rob, I don't even want to tell you what I just saw on the side of the road. I mean, it was awful, okay? But then, so this time, the pants, I'm seeing the whole booty crack, you know, and, and the grown woman in a stroller. And then an old man behind them trying to keep up. And I said, I just randomly go, and how do you help that? How do you help that? Because do you know, like, Lord, how? Because you try to help people and then it's not help and then you don't know what to <laughs> He just looked at me and he goes, with a straight face, he goes, well, you could start with a belt. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, I started laughing. We laughed for 30 minutes. Like, you could start with the belt, you know? Oh, my gosh. But here's the, th here's the thing. Like, <laughs> Jesus put up with a lot from these guys. One minute, Peter's pulling the sword. The sons of thunder go, you know what? You want me to call down fire from heaven on these people? And, you know, all of this stuff, it's messy. 
Being in the family is messy. And my mentor just told me today, be careful expecting, be careful putting old heads on young shoulders. Be careful trying to put old heads on young shoulders. We have to be learners, and we're going to talk about this even more. And I'm going to tell you, our churches need to understand this, no doubt. We need to be churches that are about learning. I feel strongly. But we also need to be people who are about learning. And we might not control the one, but we can control this. We can be learners and we can be disciples because we have to learn a completely upside down, different life, different kingdom way of living. And we have to devote ourselves to those habits. And how are we gonna know what that looks like if we are not learners and students of the apostles doctrine, which basically for us is the New Testament. Now, does that mean the Old Testament is irrelevant? No, it is the old that brings the new to life, if you know that language. So I want to encourage you, be a learner. And you're going to see next week when we start talking about uh, um, what it means to come together in fellowship and relational, that's how we learn the best. And so we're going to look at that next week. All right? All right. Now, do y'all feel like, like you're normal than when I talk about myself? And you're under no fallacy that I am something you need to ever put up on a whatever. We're in this ride together, okay? That's what we are. But we all need to be learners. And as we learn, we do what the disciples, what we have learned and experienced, we are giving to you. And we are bringing you in to the family of God. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, I do thank you that you are constantly teaching me, that you are constantly um, applying this to me, making me understand, revealing things within myself. So God, I pray that I wouldn't just be a hearer of the word, I would be a doer. Because from a relationship with you comes a way of life that you lived. So I pray, God, that when people are around me, they see that way of life. It's messy, Lord. We're messy. I'm so thankful, God, that you love us, that you've made a covenant to love us. That's who you are. I love you, Lord. And man, I look forward to your coming and making all things right. Come, Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.